The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, around the world, Christians are getting ready for what we call Holy Week, Passion Week. And it will culminate with the church worldwide celebrating not only that the Lord Jesus went to the cross, he was nailed to the cross, he paid our sin debt, but three days later rose from the grave. Yes, it's Easter week, and we celebrate our Savior, the risen Lord Jesus. And we're going to talk about that this week, the the details, and we might come across some scriptural, biblical details that... uh, you, you had not heard before. Bert Harper and I, Alex McFarland, this is Exploring the Word, and we welcome you to another week of Exploring the Word. Bert, uh, this is the mountain peak. When it comes to biblical realities, there's so many wonderful things, but the fact that the Son of God paid for our sins, rose from the dead, and through Jesus we have everlasting life, uh, this is our good news, isn't it? It is, and if you don't believe that, read the book of Acts. Now, we're going to be studying in the Gospels, but read the book of Acts. What happened when Paul would talk about and preach about the resurrection? It sets everything apart. Leading up to the resurrection is the week that we're going on, Holy Week, as you said, Monday, uh, all the way through the rest of the week. and. Last week, we did the triumphant entry, and that was a great day. Yesterday, uh, all over the world, churches were celebrating that. I know where I was at First Baptist Church, Baldwin, here in northeast Mississippi. What a great music, Palm Sunday, but also the message. And Alex, it was Mm -hmm. Jesus' declaration. You know, in the book of John, he'd say, My time has not yet come when they would want to make him Messiah or, you know, state that he was the Christ. But oh, yeah. this time when he comes in riding on a donkey from Zechariah chapter 9, I'm telling you, he was making that declaration and causing those Pharisees, Sadducees to show themselves. He was in control. And uh, this week, he is still that way. On the cross, Jesus is the one. No man took his life. He laid it down. And if he had power to lay it down, guess what, Alex? He has power <laughs> to take it again. Amen. Pra- praise the Lord. Now, folks, uh, that's right. And and I had the privilege yesterday. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio at Landmark Church, Pastor Matt Holman. He's probably listening now. But we had a great day up there in Cincinnati. And for all those that came out, and quite a number of folks came up to me Sunday in the services. And they said, oh, my goodness, I listened to Exploring the Word. And I just want to say... Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, thanks for showering love on on me. We had a great day on Palm Sunday, and all those people, the the enthusiastic listeners, uh, it just means the world to us. I mean, the fact that this show honors God and touches lives, I just want to say thank you to all those people that I meet out there on the road. But, folks, let's think about this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we've got, you know, what we call the events of Holy Week. All right, listen to this. There are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John total up to 89 chapters. Only four chapters really give us the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 17 chapters give us the last 
nine or ten days of Jesus's life. I mean, from a numerical standpoint, we might conclude that the last week of Christ's life was four times more important than the previous 30 years combined. And ten chapters, ten whole chapters, tell us about the last day of Jesus's life on earth. So, Bert, let's kind of drill down deeply and go over day by day what brings us ultimately a week from yesterday, what ultimately will bring us to that empty tomb and the guarantee. It is. And and you have to look at all four. And if you can have a, a, you know, a synopsis of the Gospels, the harmony of the Gospels lined up side by side, it really puts it in perspective. I was introduced to that uh, in college at Blue Mountain and and I brought it out again, and I love Mark again. Mark tends to get straight to the point. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't give his quite as many details most of the time as others. Sometimes he does. But notice it talks about in Mark chapter eleven. We have the triumphant entry, and notice what it says as he comes to the end uh, of that in verse uh, verse eleven. Uh, Mark eleven verse ten. Uh, Blessed is the kingdom of the cometh the kingdom of the Father, David, Hosanna, and the highest, verse 11. And he entered into Jerusalem, into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, it being now eventide, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. So that mm-hmm. lets you know a little bit about what where we, he would do. In the evening, he would leave Jerusalem and go to Bethany. We think he would spend most of the Monday, uh, Tuesday evening, Wednesday, possibly all day Wednesday, and those there's he was in Bethany, possibly with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But that's what he was doing in the evening. He would go and spend those times with them. But during the daytime, he was busily, I, I would say, preparing and getting ready for the climax of the cross and then the resurrection, Alex. Oh, yeah. Well, he was, you know, uh, busy every day doing his Father's will and teaching. Now, the busiest day, I mean, other than the Thursday, which ultimately would culminate in his arrest and then trials by night, and we're going to go this week in depth over what, uh, what trials and accusations Christ was subjected to. But um, Tuesday was a really busy day. I mean, uh, a busy day, and, and we'll go into that in a minute, but let, uh, let's back up just a little bit, if we could. On Saturday, for one thing, in John chapter 12, um, scholars, you know, like you said, Bert, you got to look at all four Gospels to, to really piece it all together. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I think about J. Warner Wallace, a former detective, Lee Strobel with a law degree, um, Erwin Linton, that name is, some of you might remember, he was a lawyer that argued in front of the Supreme Court, became a, a Christian. But a lot of uh, people with legal minds, they, they look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they say, okay, this is ironclad, because you've got eyewitness testimony, and while you've got stories that complement each other, that they, they're not like corroborated like collusion. Now, what that means is it's almost like um, Chuck Colson said this, uh, and we I knew Dr. Colson, uh, and he was a friend, but he said in Watergate, he said they had a very simple story, and uh, just half a dozen people had to, quote, get their story straight for just a few weeks, and they could have been fine, and yet they couldn't do it. And here you've got, in the case of Jesus, 
eyewitnesses, and they they all have a consistent story about what he said, what he did, who he was. And a lot of people, Bert, over the years have said the idea that they could have come up with a myth and it persists for 2,000 years is very unthinkable. But Saturday, Jesus is at Bethany. Um, He's anointed by Mary, John chapter 12, Mary, the sister of Martha. Now, Sunday, Palm Sunday, he goes, and this is, I don't know, maybe two to two and a half miles uh, he goes from Bethany, the house of suffering, that's what that means, to Bethphage, the house of unripe figs, gets the donkey. He's headed towards the Mount of Olives, and he'll ultimately cross over the Mount of Olives, go across the Kidron Valley, and through the Eastern Gate into Jerusalem. And uh, Bert, don't you think it's interesting that over the centuries, people that rejected the Messiahship of Jesus they sealed up the eastern gate with mortar, and they yeah. put a graveyard in front of it. And uh, some of the Islamic leaders said, well, that he can't return because the, we've sealed up the eastern gate. And a true rabbi wouldn't go through a cemetery around those graves. So purposely burying dead bodies in front of the eastern gate. When you were in Jerusalem, Bert, did you look at that eastern I gate? I did, yes. And... Our guide was pointing that out, and again, it was uh, their thinking that their tradition, their thinking, their, uh, I would say, obsession with uh, not having Jesus to be Lord, uh, yes, they did that. And it's an amazing fact when you go there and you mm-hmm. see what all they tried to keep Jesus from doing. And and again, I made this point last week when we was talking about his triumphant entry. Alex, the whole thing is that Jesus uh, is doing what he's doing, forcing these men to to show themselves, and in showing themselves and thinking that they're losing control. That's the whole idea. When they saw the triumphant entry and saw what Jesus had so many people following him, uh, Lazarus had so many people that had been saved because they had seen him raised from the dead, uh, they were losing control. And yeah. what was so funny, in them trying to be in control, they are the ones that lost control. They could Isn't not control ironic? Jesus. And I made that comment Sunday that, you know, if if you're trying to, to keep control of your life, the Bible says he who loses his life in Christ will find it. And that's the whole idea. Lose yourself in Christ. He is the one that's ultimately in control, isn't he? You know what, Bert? Um, Some of the greatest blessings God has ever given me have been certain areas of my life that I was simply unable to control, and I had to put them in His hands. And uh, like, you know, the the fate of of our farm down here, that I had to let it go after my parents died. And I thank God, because it would have hindered me from traveling and preaching the gospel. But uh, it just might be that somebody's listening and deep in your soul, you know, you need the Lord and you're uneasy about, well, what what will I have to let go of? Listen, uh, the Bible is very clear. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And the answer is nothing. Goodness, it you might have the world and all of its uh, trinkets, but if you die and go to hell, you've lost everything. The greatest blessing God will ever do for you next to 
washing your sin away. The greatest blessing, he'll, if you'll let him, he will be your Lord, your sustainer, your provider. So let go of whatever it is that's between you and Jesus. It's not worth it. Let it go and embrace the Savior. Amen. Well, Alex, on that Monday, after the triumphant entry, two big issues that takes place on Monday, cleansing the temple, but then cursing the fig tree. Now, I want to say this, and we'll get back. On Tuesday, they come back out. After that fig tree had been cursed, it was withered. Uh, you know, that's the whole idea. Each each day is connected to the other. Uh, when he went into the uh, on triumphant day, uh, I believe there was some teaching going on. But on Monday, uh, now I think Mark chapter 11, I don't know where you'd want to go, but let me read that. Chapter 11, uh, we're coming to the close to the end, but let me introduce it. Mark 11, 12. And on the morning, on the morrow, when they were come out from Bethany, he hungered. Seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came. It, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when it came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. He answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit from thee henceforth forever. And his disciples heard it. And they were come to Jerusalem and entered the temple. Now, Alex, again, this sets the stage on the morrow. He comes in. And the fig tree, it has a lot of, of meaning. Uh, I think it does. It really does. But this sets the stage for what he's doing, and he'll go there into the temple. And so on that Amen. Monday, uh, after the triumphant entry, cleansing the temple, he's kind of putting the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and Sadducees on guard. And so yes. we're going to come back right after the break, and we're going to fill this out and look at what Jesus did on that Monday before the cross. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for John Rychowski, Chief Financial Officer of the Department of Veterans Affairs. He's responsible for directing the department's budgetary, financial, capital asset management, and business oversight functions. Titus 2.7 reminds us of the importance of being a good steward. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for John Rachowski as he oversees finances for the Department of Veterans Affairs. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says all the unrest, confusion, and division we're seeing these days aren't problems, they're symptoms. He'll talk about the disease and the cure as we spend two minutes with Tony. America, it has a theological and spiritual problem. See, all this division you're seeing across race, across genders, across political parties, all that is symptoms of what happens in a culture when it abandons the true God. When a culture abandons the true God, a vacuum is set where chaos enters in. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. Because they abandoned God, it says, there was no peace. 
So the further you get away from God, then now man wants to decide what's life and what's not life. How we deal with older people and how we don't. And man wants to decide that because when you get rid of the true God, now you become God. Government becomes God. Man becomes God. And they come up with all these new definitions that become political fights. Political fights. This is a theological issue. It's a biblical issue related to the true God. But if you're more Democrat than Christian, if you're more Republican than Christian, then you're going to go with the party. You're not going to go with the king. I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, well, you know, I vote the same way every year. And he said, because I'm a company man. I said, you ought to be a kingdom man. You ought to be taking from the Word of God as the basis. If you're discouraged about the division in our country, check out Tony's book, America, Turning a Nation to God. It reveals how to recognize the real problem and kickstart revival. Details are waiting for you at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. In Him we were also chosen as God's own, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything by the counsel of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be for the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. American Family Radio. Now, back to the Bible study. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Birdie and Alex with you. And we're glad you could listen to today. By the way, if you miss a program, you can go to AFR.net, look up podcast and go Exploring the Word, and you can find the date and the subject. And uh, you can share that with others as well. We're so glad so many people listen to the podcast because they can't get it on a regular basis. But we're glad you're listening by radio. And we're studying the last week or that Jesus ministry here upon earth in his human flesh. And uh, so this is the Monday that we're talking about. And Alex, I'm going to, I'm going to read part of the scripture and then you'll know it says, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, Alex, it doesn't sound like he was politically correct, and it doesn't sound like he was trying to get on the good list of the people who were running the temple at that time, does it? (laughs) It really doesn't. You know, um, I've often quoted uh, the writer Flannery O'Connor, who said, truth doesn't change dependent on our ability to stomach it. And so Jesus didn't soft pedal anything. I mean, he laid the truth out there. He, He really did. And um, there were those, just like today, I mean, there are those that can't tolerate truth, uh, but yet Jesus is the truth, and uh, we'll get to, you know, later on where before Pilate, um, he talks about what truth is. But um, on the Monday, sometimes in Christendom they call it Holy Monday, following Palm Sunday, uh, there was the cleansing of the temple. Uh, and, and by the way, this was the second time he had done that, but um, Bert, not only speaking truth, but when he physically, like, you know, turned over tables and he said, you know, generation of vipers, you know, uh, my, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all people. Like, he took control of things 
as if it belonged to him because it did. You know, isn't that something? I mean, it, it was, he's the head of the church. He was the Lord of the temple, and he could take control and authority because it really is his. Let me read a little bit about this. Um, in verse 13 of Matthew 21, Jesus said, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And that, that was a quote from uh, the Old Testament. Uh, let me see here. From, where was it? Uh, Jeremiah seven eleven. All right. Um, then he does some healing, but he was showing authority and power, wasn't he? He was, and he had that authority. Now, what had happened, and, and you said it so well, uh, my house shall be a house of prayer for all people, for all nations. This was probably in what is called the court of the Gentiles. Uh, this is where it, this is the missional part of the temple. Now, I, I just, I love the missional purpose of the Bible. From Abraham, when he was called, you shall be a blessing to all the earth, all generations. And, and here, uh, I've said this many times about where he located the, the Holy Land, the Promised Land, was where three continents, close to where three continents would come together uh, in, in, as they would meet, Africa, Asia, and Europe there. He put them there so when the stranger would come through, they would see and hear of God's testimony of how God, God operated. When he sent the temple, there was the court of Gentiles, Alex, where those that would be coming, there was a place for them to observe and see and hear. And if they heard and saw, they would see that God is good, that God is a righteous God. But they had taken that part of the temple, and they had made it, quote, where they would set up their tables, and they would exchange. Now, it's not necessarily what the exchange was so bad. It was that they had no room for the others, and also they were doing it as thieves. They were shortchanging everyone. So yeah. Jesus took control of that. Two issues, do it where they did it and how they did it. Alex, uh, this, is, this is serious, and Jesus took it serious, and they're talking about meek and mild Jesus. Well, I'm not sure it says he overturned the tables and got a whip and ran them out. That sounds pretty severe to me now. Exactly. And let me say this with his physical actions. Uh, Matthew 21, 12 through 19, he cleanses the temple. Uh, well, no, tw um, 12 through 17. But then in 18 through 22, there's the fig tree. So let me just say this. All right, yes, he could preach, he could speak, he could turn over tables. He had the authority to act that way. But it's amazing. There, there's a word in, of course, Genesis where it says, and God said, and God said, let there be light. God has the power to speak things into existence. But you look at the case of the withered fig tree, and, and what this was condemning, it was, because, it was condemning the religious, the corrupt, carnal, dishonest, religious machine that Israel had become. All right, you know, under the Jews were committed the oracles of God, and part of their calling, and what a glorious calling it was. Through the Jewish people, the Messiah would be born, and, you know, the Bible says salvation is of the Jews, but um, as we see the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they rejected Jesus. So here's the thing. 
verse 19, Matthew 21, seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he said, quote, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And then in verse 20, the disciples said, how did that fig tree wither away so soon? And he said, you know, don't doubt if you think that was a miracle, just wait. All right, here's my point. And I think about America, I think about a church, I think about a, a Christian. Bert, ha haven't we all met Christians that at one point were dynamically on fire for God, and then later, I mean, I've known Christians that abandoned their faith. I imagine God can speak things into existence, and there is life. God can also speak judgment into existence. Bert, have you ever pictured in your mind how that fig tree by the side of the road might have just like almost like a computer graphics withered down to nothing? Yeah. Right. I, I believe it. And and when you saw that, the amazing thing, as it happened so quickly, but go back, it was filled with leaves, it looked good, it was lush, but the it had no fruit. Right. Uh he's late you know, later on he's gonna talk about the vine and the branches and, and that vine having to be pruned so it will not just be filled with leaves, but it'll be filled with fruit. And again, I, Alex, this demonstrates not just for the nation of Israel how it was, not just concerning church, but individuals, ministries, that, that God prunes and, and fruit yeah. comes from that. And that's God's expectation that we would produce fruit, even what? Much fruit. Yes. And, uh, and that's and the I whole idea. You know, heaven forbid that the Lord ever said over this nation, uh, be withered, let no more fruit come from you. You know, heaven forbid that the Lord would say over a church, Ichabod, no more. I've, I've, I've wrestled with these people long enough. And I don't know, Bert, the, the cursing the fig tree. And don't get me wrong. I'm just going to say this. We'll move on. I love the Jewish people. I've got so many, so many friends, many Jews that are believers in Messiah, Jesus. I've got some Jewish friends that aren't yet. Um, true Christians love the Jewish people. So in exegeting this scripture, in no way are we being anti-Semitic or critical of the Jewish people necessarily. But, Bert, I think about the 2,000 years that have gone on. Imagine if, because Jesus was offering the kingdom. See, here's the thing. Jesus came in on a peaceful donkey to offer the kingdom. At some future point, he's going to return on a white horse to establish the kingdom. But could you imagine how history would have played out differently if they had accepted their Messiah? Because, you know, when he was healing people, uh, the chief priests and the scribes, Matthew 21, 15, they said, um, do you hear your people are saying Hosanna to the son of David? You hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said, yes. See, here's one of the reasons. If anybody ever asks you, did Jesus really claim to be the son of God? Matthew 21, 16, he says, yes, I get it. They're praising me as God incarnate. And he allowed himself to be worshiped. And he said, out of the mouths of babes and infants comes perfect praise. Um, but the, the religious machine was threatened by the one yep. who truly was the Savior and Redeemer. And when they rejected him, it was like a withered, dead plant 
no more fruit. And And may God prevent that from ever happening to any of us. Alex, that is so true. You have the fig tree and you have the temple. This is a very pronounced Monday. I mean, the fig tree and them hearing that, and then the temple and, and him cleansing it. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 11. After Jesus cleansed the temple and they heard what he said, verse 18, and the chief priest and the scribes heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, for all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. There it is again. What Jesus is doing, he is bringing about the cruci- his crucifixion, and he's purposefully doing it. He is not holding back. Uh, he comes claiming that messiahship, and they're saying, Hosanna, and they're trying to keep him quiet. You keep him quiet, and like you said, he said no. He permitted them to do so. He received that, and now it does the fig tree, as you have said, and I, th- no doubt I believe they could understand that and know that word would get back to them. He goes in and cleanses, cleanses the temple, and the chief priests described, they heard it, they sought how they might destroy him. Now, Alex, Jesus, again, is bringing this about, and it, it's bad. It's, it's, it's horrible that they are trying to do that, but they are working into God's plan. God takes what men are doing for evil, and he turns it into good. That's the whole idea here. And uh, so Mark takes that and he brings it home about what they're saying and how they're doing it. For the multitude was astonished, what? At his teaching. Now, this is a little bit different. The people up in the northern part in Galilee, they were astonished at his miracles. But when he comes to Jerusalem, notice how many times they're astonished at his teaching for he was one who spoke with authority. The The Sanhedrin would send those young men out to question him, and the young men would come back and they'd report to the Sanhedrin, we've never heard a man speak like this man. So, Alex, do you catch the difference up in Galilee, the miracles, and down in Jerusalem? Yes, he had done the miracle of raising Lazarus. I'm not saying he didn't have, right, have right. to do that. But again, have you noticed how they, they go against his teaching? They don't like that doctrine, do they? Well, they don't. And let me say, uh, you've got to take Jesus for who he claimed to be, which is the Son of God. Um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there was, um, there was a character named Jill, and there was living water, the water of everlasting life. But um, if you were going to take the living water you had to have a relationship with Aslan the king Jill wanted the living water but not Aslan the king and somebody says look you can't have the kingdom without the king and that's how it is Um, you want salvation wonderful you need a relationship with the savior that's Jesus but it's not a cafeteria line where we can pick and choose we take Christ as he is for who he is and for what he claimed but if we want the the blessing of salvation, we we have to come with the reality of obedience and belief, don't we? We do. You remember when he came riding on a donkey and everybody was singing Hosanna and laying the palm trees and the clothes. The question was asking Matthew, who is this? And they, so it's the prophet, uh, the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. That was correct. But he's so much more. And 
you remember the debate years ago about lordship salvation? I remember that. He is Lord. Does he come from his lordship in order for someone to believe in him? No. He is who he is, and he is Lord. For For you to trust him, you receive him, Alex, as he is. He is Lord. He is God. And uh, for, as you said, it's not a buffet where, well, I'll take that. I'll take, no, I don't want that. Um, it's it's like a plane. You you fly, you ride a plane a lot. Can you get halfway on a plane or do you have to get on it all the way for it do you any you good? you got to be all in <laughs> if you're going to take the ride. And that is right with Christ. You've got to be all in. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Jesus Christ is Lord. He, he, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and, and he was buried and rose again. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. Surrender your life to him today. Alex, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's what it means. It says we give up on ourselves. Repentance has the idea of giving up on ourselves and turning around and going God's way. That's the whole idea, isn't it? Mm, it will. It is. It, it really is. And you know, Easter. Not only. I mean, this is this is how our salvation came about. I mean, Jesus ministered by dozens of ways. He validated his identity and his mission. He was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies about the Savior. He proved himself. He could. He could heal. He could resurrect dead bodies. He met every criteria for being the messiah and he ultimately was nailed to the cross the punishment for sin was poured onto him the judgment that i deserved all of us and he rose from the dead but it comes down to this folks a decision what as as has been what think ye of christ have you accepted christ that's the question We'll be back after this. I just appreciate AFR spreading so much truthful news that helps me to know what's going on in my country and in my world. American Family Radio's Spring share is coming soon. We'll celebrate what God is doing through this ministry and ask you to support our efforts. I just really appreciate the godly perspective and truthfulness that I hear every day. Join us April 19th, 20th, and 21st for share on American Family Radio. Christ's followers are called to serve. So whether you serve in a local church, in your community, in the home, it's vital to know how to do the basics of Christianity well. Join us as we explore the essentials of effective Christian living this week on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where is the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner 
partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The book of Proverbs is one that flows with abundant insight for wisdom. It shows that one of the most prominent qualities of wise people is that they welcome and even celebrate life-giving correction. In today's world, overrun by cultural Marxism, there is much discussion as to what segments of our society hate themselves. Well, Proverbs gives the answer. He who rejects life-giving correction despises himself. The truest demonstration of self-hatred is revealed by knuckleheads who refuse to humble themselves and embrace life-giving correction. Loving rebuke saves lives. Correction displays love. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I know the answer to every question, the one solution to every fear. I know my help and where it comes Welcome from. Back to Exploring the Word, Exploring the Word, and the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We're going to go to Bible questions, and Bert, I'm going to ask you if you can queue up the first question, because the software where I... Mine's not working either. I'm not getting it through either. It, it says the link to the server is down, so I'm going to have to ask for Devin, if Devin yeah. can see the callers, but apparently... We don't have the, any right now, so that right now... If you want to get your call through, you better do it this now. This is your day. What's that number? 888-589-8840. I got that memorized, Alex. <laughs> and, folks, a little backstory. The way we do this, we've got this computer, and when people call in, you know, like Bill from Texas or John from Oregon, we see it up there. And um, for some reason, I'm not seeing it, so we might have a little glitch on my end, but when um, Devin gets a call up there, we'll – Go straight to it. Okay, but I yeah, to... they're, they're starting to call in now. People are responding, so make that call okay. and do it. While we're doing it, Alex, I know you could talk about others, but uh, are you going to be somewhere in the next week or two? I am going to be at First Baptist Church of Ashboro. Now, folks, this is in central North Carolina. Ashboro is a very fine town, a lot of great people there, and uh, I'll be there on Easter Sunday, which is... Um, well, two weeks. Well, no, the seventeenth. I'll be in Ashboro First Baptist. That's Ashboro. this Sunday, man. This, this Sunday. Sunday, yeah. I'm gonna be there two straight weeks, so the seventeenth and the twenty fourth. Okay, yeah. Well, I but, will be. I will be in Mansfield, uh, Louisiana, this coming Sunday, Easter Sunday, at Hunter Magnolia Baptist Church. Amador Santos is the pastor. Been talking with them. Been planning on going. And uh, looking forward, if you're in that area down in north, it would be northwest Louisiana, not far from the Texas border. Uh, we would love to see you there. So, Alex, sounds like we're ready. Hey, is your software ready? If not, I've got somebody ready. All right, go for it. Okay, let's go to Texas and talk to Clint. Clint, welcome. 
Hey, good afternoon, Bert and Alex. Uh, I didn't really have a question. I just want to thank you, too, for your, uh, the ministry you guys are doing, uh, both on and there and off the air. I travel a lot for work as I'm in my car driving across this big state of Texas, and I listen to you every afternoon um, and when I get a chance. So that's all I had. Just want to say thanks. You all have a good afternoon. Thank well, you. God bless you, Clint. Hey, Alex, we hear that quite a bit, and uh, people that drive and they're on the road during this afternoon, it is a great, great opportunity, and uh, we just say thanks from the bottom of our heart. And, Alex, people, they say how much they appreciate or love us. L- let me just say, uh, it is returned, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. We, we really appreciate you all we do, and we give God the glory. We we give God all the glory. But, um, hey, right now, how about Jordan in Kentucky? Jordan, are you there? I'm there. Hey, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, good to be here. Uh, my question is, uh, it's kind of tricky, and I know I'll probably get a different answer from everybody I talk to, but uh, what I want to know is your opinion on the rapture. Is this a pre-trib or a mid-trib rapture? Okay. Alex, there's different opinions on that. Now, you and I are both pre-trib. But let me say this, Jordan, and this is a little critical, and I I try not to have a critical spirit, but sometimes you can't help but notice that. But a lot of folks just that haven't done a lot of Bible study, they want to be pre-trib because it gets us out of the great punishment. I praise the Lord, God does deliver us. But I do believe with all my heart, even with those of us that are pre-trib, difficult days will come even before the rapture, Alex. And it's yes. already been difficult in a lot of places. I mean, you go to, the, you hear about what took place in the Sudan, what takes place in Ethiopia, what's taking place in North Korea right now and in mm. China, what's taking place in India. We've done a lot of interviews on exploring missions about what's taking place in India and it is horrible. So great tribulation and difficulties already here with us. Uh, Alex, pre-trib, mid-trib. Well, um, I, I'm pre-tribulational. I think the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. And I want to encourage people to read First Thessalonians 4 and 5. You know, we often hear about First Thessalonians 4 that says, you know, the voice of the Lord, the shout, the, the trump of God. And it says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven uh, with a shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.17. But if you continue reading on into 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about, um, you know, we are uh, been shown the times and the seasons, um, and it says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then it says in verse 9, and this is part of the reason that I think it is pre-tribulational. Rapture, seven years of tribulation, Armageddon, return, millennium, new heavens, new earth. Okay, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Bert, I, and this is a very abbreviated uh, take on this, but the day of wrath. The tribulation, the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble, it is going to be the wrath of God on planet Earth. And, and I, I believe 
that I, I understand the case for a mid or post-tribulational rapture, but I really think the church will be called out, and that's part of the reason it's going to be just pandemonium on earth, because, you know, more than two billion souls, I mean, you think about one-third of the human race that is living for God and praying and representing truth, they're going to be gone. Yep. That's it that's is. going to pave, that's going to open up the door for all manner of darkness and sin, isn't it? It is. Now, tribulation is divided up into tribulation, the great tribulation. That's another reason some people believe in the mid-trib theory is that right before the great tribulation begins that the church will be taken out. The whole sequence is this. He's coming back. He's going to gather us up. We're going to be caught together. The whole idea is when does it happen? That is a questionable. Good people disagree on that, but hear what it is. What you don't want to disagree on is us being ready for that time. And the promise that we have, if we know Christ, no matter what we go through before his return, we have the promise, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He is with us always to the end of the age. So, Alex, we have that promise, and we need to live in obedience to it, don't we? We do, we do. Well, what a great question. We're going to go to Jerome uh, in Texas. Jerome, uh, thanks for holding. Welcome. Well, it's really great to speak to you again, uh, Bert and Alex, and the wonderful Bible study that you have online here. And Bless I you, have brother. a question. Uh, my brother-in-law actually has a question about Jesus and the two swords in Luke, I believe, 22, 36 to 38. Um, with the gun laws and everything up in question in the Second Amendment, uh, he wanted to know if it was okay for Christians to have uh, weapons to protect themselves with. Okay. Jerome, thank you. Thank you for calling in for your brother-in-law. Thank you for listening. Alex, uh, God didn't say it was wrong to have a a weapon to protect yourself. He was talking to Peter about putting that away uh, for, a, for a different time. Now's not the time, was it? Uh, no. You know, um, kind of a famous passage there in Luke twenty two thirty six: sell your cloak and buy a sword. Um, you know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was, um, he, he asked the question, he said, have you come out here with clubs uh, to arrest me as if I was some sort of criminal, verse 52. Um, let me say this. The Bible makes a distinction between murder and self-defense. The Bible also makes a distinction between those that bear the sword lawfully and those that bear the sword unlawfully. Um, I, I think uh, the Luke twenty-two thirty-six. 36 um, Jesus is acknowledging that it's a it's a fallen world of sin, and there might be times when um, a Christian has to protect himself or his family, and uh, even use deadly force to do it. Now, it would be nice if it weren't that way, but God gives to nations and to individuals the right to self defense. He really does, and. Again, the United States has recognized that, again, based on what we know and on, on the principles of the Word of God, where our nation was founded in most part. Again, that disagreement over slavery, it was real. But I, I just want to go back and say John Adams had it right. Others uh, had it right. But there were those that did not have it right. They 
they slavery. They were legitimizing it wrongly. They did it. But John Adams, and they worked it in where the Declaration of Independence would declare the truth, whether they were doing the truth or not, and then it was worked into the Constitution so that we could correct that which we had wrong. Praise mm-hmm. God for what God has done here in our nation. And so, yes, self-protection uh, is there. Very important. I want to encourage people, see if you can find this online. C.S. Lewis, brilliant guy, wrote a, an essay called Why I Am Not a Pacifist. Why I'm Not a Pacifist. Might shed some light on that. Well, uh, Rick in Texas. Uh, Rick, thanks for holding. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Thank you. My question is, I know the Antichrist comes out of Rome, but sometimes people move to different countries. Uh, I don't know. It's been bugging me to call you guys and ask you that question, so I finally got through. Okay, Rick, thank you. He is going to, they're talking about the revised Roman Empire uh, is what it uh, refers to. And uh, when the European Union started, we thought, okay, there it is. We're having this reorganization of the Roman uh, Empire that we know. And we do know some things about it, but that's a good point, Rick, that there is that uh, possibility of mobility in our global world. Alex, we know a few things about it, but uh, you can't put everything down, Pat, exactly what it means. But uh, I think that's a good guess that he is out of the Roman, quote, revised Roman Empire. Yeah, you know, the Bible tells us a lot that he would be the man of sin, the son of perdition. Um, you know, First John 4, 3 says, Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. So there, there are going to be um, cultural characteristics of the Antichrist. There are going to be theological characteristics of the Antichrist. There are going to be moral. The Antichrist, this man of sin, he will deny the deity of Jesus. He will deny the, the unique exclusivity of Christianity. He will um, deny, it says he will not recognize the God of his fathers. Now, some have wondered if he would be part Jewish if he doesn't recognize the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, we we could do, and maybe we will at some point, do a whole show on who the Antichrist might be. But, Bert, I'll say this. He might be on earth right now, maybe yet to be revealed the one who ultimately will be the Antichrist. Uh, Now, there have been a lot of people that are anti-Christian, and maybe they've operated under kind of the mindset of Antichrist. But there is going to be uh, a man that will align the world completely against God. There is, yeah. He might be alive at some point even now. Exactly. John said there's many Antichrist with us even now. In other words, there are many. It's just like tribulation. There's there's many tribulation at different places all over the world. I've already suggested that, told them where they were. and But also there's many, many, and, and I'm using M-I-N-I, uh, Antichrist. In other words, it is a looking at what the big, big one will be. One more yeah. call. Where is it, Alex? Uh, Greg in Tennessee. Greg, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hello, brothers. I, I thank you for your program, and thanks for all you do. Uh, Luke eleven thirty five. it says, Let not your light be darkness. And, I mean, the only light as Christians we have to share is the gospel. 
And I don't know, I, I consider it an oxymoron. How can light be darkness? If you could just explain that, I'll hang up and listen. Okay, thank you, Greg. Uh, 1135 of Luke. Alex, it yeah. also reminds me about sh- uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, <laughs> sometimes oh, yeah. there's a false light. It's like a white horse, and we've been talking about uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, there's a false white horse, too, you know, coming. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, you think about what you give yourself to. Think about what, what drives you, what empowers you. What are you living for? That thing that you live for, that, that's like your, your light. Let me read the context. No one, when he is lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a bushel. So let me tell you what your priority is. Oh, you're going to keep that way out front. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, so in other words, what you see, what, what it's talking about, your eye and your light, is the, the truth that you commit yourself to. And that's why it says, if the light in you is darkness, then the whole body is full of darkness. Okay, if the thing you've committed yourself to is false, God help you. Now, Bert, I want to say there are people now and the light they have in them, it's not light, L-I-G-H-T, but I mean that thing that they have believed, that thing to which they've been committed, that thing to which they're living for is false. And my goodness, if you've built your life on that which is false, then, then you're in darkness. You really are. Uh, thank you for that call, and Greg, we hope that helps. And the light, Jesus Christ, it's him, and in him there's no variableness of turning. Uh, it's like in Isaiah chapter 6 when the seraphim were uh, flying around the uh, throne. It, no matter where they were, it was holy, no matter what direction. In Jesus, there's light always in every direction. We want to thank you for listening to Exploring the Word here today. Alex and I are enjoying it. Tell someone about this program and about AFR, but most of all, tell them about Jesus. 